It's nice when things work out. I've been saving this episode for a couple of months. I was waiting for the Grammys on Sunday night before I shared this. I was waiting for Sage, the vocal group made up of singers Sarah Gazarik, Amanda Taylor, Janae Kendrick, and Aaron Bentledge to win their Grammy for their arrangement of In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. They recorded it with one of the most admired musical minds today, Jacob Collier. And like much of what has happened with Sage so far, that recording was both unintended and totally right, somewhere between the reward for the hard work of talented artists and magic. Of course, I didn't know if they would win, but on the other hand, I had a pretty good sense that they would. Welcome to The Third Story. I'm Leo Sidrin. When the sun is high. And the Grammy goes to In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. In the afternoon sky. We'd like to thank all of you. You can always find something to do. We'd like to thank the Academy. But from dusk till dawn. We are sage. We are all female creators. As the clock takes on. We arrange and release and produce all of our own music. So we hope that this feels like a win for all female identifying creators, independent musicians. We are the gatekeepers of this. to thank our dear friend Jacob for collaborating with us on this. He contributed so much heart and depth and space and musical soul. The story plays like a dream. One day, Jacob Collier stopped by the L.A. recording studio where Sage was working on their debut album. He was friendly with some of them, and so he casually dropped in. One thing led to another, and he ended up playing and singing a few free-form takes of In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. There's footage of it online, and you can see him improvising his arrangement. You can also see his childlike enthusiasm, his playful energy, his request to do just one more take. Okay, here goes another experiment. And then another. I've got one more. Each one more brilliant than the last. Can I do one more? Okay, sorry for too many options, but this is really, really fun. After Jacob left, the singers and Sage built their vocal arrangement around what he had played. It's a beautiful marriage of improvisation and arrangement, and the result ends up sounding completely inevitable. They contextualized Collier's spontaneous approach. They brought it fully into their world. They built a frame around his impressionistic gestures, and then they filled in the landscape. But this was not their first experience with serendipity. I bet when you see the Before Sage was Sage, back when it was just an idea floated by Sarah Gazarik to put some kind of vocal group together, the four women gathered in Palm Springs for a weekend to get to know each other and discuss the possibility of doing something. They came out of that weekend with a song called Desert Song, a sound, and the makings of a story. You're drawn to the strength inside the waves But if you get caught within the ocean The undertow will let you lose 
Members of Sage don't live in the same place. Sarah and Aaron live in Los Angeles, Janae and Amanda live in Seattle. But they started to work as a group, and eventually they recorded Desert Song. Without a full record, without a label, without much of a team in place, they submitted the song to the Grammys. It was their first song, remember, and it was nominated in 2020. Of course it was nominated. It's so beautifully haunting, so sophisticated, so evocative, rooted and cascading, hip and emotive. Their sound seemed to emerge out of the desert. It seemed to blow across the arid Coachella Valley. It was just there for them, and it pointed to so much possibility. And it raises some interesting questions, like how is it possible that four people who were more or less randomly assembled came out with such a unified sound so quickly? Was this luck? Was this intuition? Was it good production in the multiple senses of the word? Was there something inherently balanced, aligned, destined about these four people and their chemistry? They would have to wait to find out because COVID came and did what COVID did. But eventually, Sage released their debut album in 2023. It featured guest appearances by Ambrose Akimusery, Michael Mayo, Terry Lynn Carrington, and of course, Jacob Collier, among others. But at the core of the album was the signature Silky Sage sound, which is a little hard to define, but very easy to identify when you hear it. It's technically challenging to execute. Suspended chords and interweaving lines and it's very satisfying to experience. They ascend, as they say, beyond their training and into artistry. I started hearing the name Sage on the tongues of my friends and colleagues, but I did not listen until one day their music found me blowing in under my Brooklyn door, and it was just there for me, as natural as water or wind. And that's when I dove in deep. Fortunately, they are thoroughly modern in their approach to content making, and there are plenty of videos and clips online to satisfy the sage curious. Often in their videos, they dress in monochrome outfits, each in a different earth tone or sometimes in the same color, a deep green or beige. It's an interesting sleight of hand, polyphonic voices in monochromatic clothes. But it actually seems to support their all-for-one, one-for-all philosophy. They are four unique voices coming from four unique places, but they are all equally important to make the project work, and they're unified. We got together late last year in Gowanus, Brooklyn at a photo studio where they were spending the afternoon making holiday videos. I arrived dressed in monochromatic gray, hoping to become an honorary member for the evening. And we had a beautiful talk about their formation, their journey, from that first weekend retreat in Palm Springs to the release of their first full-length album and its subsequent Grammy nomination for Best Arrangement, Instruments and Vocals with Jacob Collier for In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. We talked about collective lyric writing, managing logistics and juggling four schedules, the emotional space that feminine energy allows, and discovering who they are in public. Accepting their Grammy this week, they seemed excited and delighted to be on stage picking up the award. But a part of me suspects that even they were not so shocked to be receiving it. Because at this point, there's something that is simply charmed about the Sage experience. Third-story.com will take you to the archive. It's hundreds of past episodes, including conversations with some of Sage's friends and collaborators like Michael Mayo, Pete Min, Janice Siegel, Jacob Collier, and many more. We're made in collaboration with WBGO Studios. Visit wbgo.org studios to find out more about all their award-winning content. And I joined Substack recently. Visit leosidron.substack.com, which is new for me. That's where you can sign up for the mailing list now. And you can also choose to be a paying subscriber. I'll be honest with you, there's almost no difference between paying for it and not paying for it. So you do you. But if you want to support me, that's a way. If you're a Patreon patron, I will continue to send you the episodes and the occasional bit of bonus content. But I suspect that the whole thing will be moving to Substack this year. 
Here's me and Sarah Gazarek, Amanda Taylor, Jeanne Kendrick, and Aaron Bentledge, Sage, talking it down and breaking through. I want to start off by sharing how I came to be sitting across from you because I think in some ways it speaks to maybe something that is familiar in the experience that you're having also. People told me about Sage for six months, a year, I don't know how long, and I did not pay attention. I did not listen. My trusted friends told me, you've got to listen to this, this is incredible, and I didn't. My friend Randy Ingram did a gig with you. Oh, He's like, yeah. you've got to listen to this. I didn't do it. And then I think the algorithm finally fed me something. And I freaked out. I mean, I was like, I have got to talk to them. And this is kind of like, as somebody who does a podcast, this is my kind of worst fear. I checked my emails, wrote Sage into my emails, and saw that I was pitched on this six (laughs) months ago. And I passed on it. But I have come to find that things happen in their time and they come to you when they need to come to you and we receive things when we need to receive them and I guess the reason I wanted to say that is because I feel that the same is kind of true for this group like everything about the creation of the group the way you first got together when you wrote your first song that it led to a Grammy nomination the incredible enthusiasm that the project was met with the interruption that then came because of COVID now again the sort of serendipity of this track that you did with Jacob Collier that has led to another nomination. It just all seems like it's happening in its own time and in its own way. And I guess I'm just wondering, catching you in the midst of this now sort of proper presentation of the group, what you're feeling. That, that's kind of where I want to start. Janae. Yeah, you know, you can't force things. I mean, you can... But I think that experience has taught the four of us that when you try to force things to happen, it's never what you want. And so I think that we've just kind of gotten into the space where we just do what we do and continue to step forward. Um, But how are we feeling right now? It's just really wild. Everything is still requiring processing. I mean, I'm still processing the fact that we were in the studio with Jacob and he just was so generous and gave so much and left so much room for us to explore. I'm still processing that. I'm still processing, you know, being in the studio and being produced by Aaron and Amanda and Mm -hmm. recording double tracks of, you know, 15 songs. I'm still processing. We're still processing a lot of stuff. It's all good. Like it's all just really great. And I think that we're really grateful that we stumbled into one another's lives because it's not, I don't think it was any something that any of us were thinking about attempting to manifest. And I'm big into manifestation, but this was just one of those things where it's like, let's hang out and, and see what happens. And a lot of things just fell into place and there wasn't, you know, like a forcing of concepts or ideas, even Desert Song, like writing that piece together. It was just kind of like, hi, nice to meet you. Who are you? What do you do? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? There was just like a lot of openness and room and allowing things to come to be rather than forcing them. And I think that's kind of the way that we operate best. Mm -hmm. 
is by just allowing things to come to us and like the things that are for you will find you. Sarah, as I understand it, on some level, you had put it out into the universe that you were looking to assemble a group or put a group together. It was not something that I thought about before the words came out of my mouth. Uh So it's kind of like what John A is speaking to that like there are moments in your life where you allow yourself to be a conduit for something to come out of you, right? And there was a situation where I was collaborating with Amanda Mm -hmm. and for all intents and purposes, never thought of myself as someone who wanted to be in an ensemble, didn't think of that as something that aligned with my artistry or where I was headed or my trajectory. And yeah, I mean, I think if I had been stubborn about things, I would have said, this isn't what you do don't go there, you know, mm. but I just, I, I followed my heart and walked up to her after this kind of collaborative evening and was like, do you have, and kind of was joking, but like, you know, shot my shot. And if she rejected me, I would laugh. And if she said yes, I would smile and hug her. <clears throat> but she, you know, beamed her brilliant, gorgeous smile. And uh, we were kind of off to the races and we pulled from, you know, this tight knit community, the vocal world, uh, vocal jazz world, vocal jazz composer, arranger, who care about contemporary music mm-hmm. and um, share the same values with contemporary solo jazz musicians. It's a really small community. So we knew of each other, respected each other, had collaborated in different circles. And really, uh, you know, similarly, like I posted something on Facebook that was like, why don't uh, Airbnbs allow for you to select that you need a piano? And someone Facebook messaged me and was like, we I'd be happy to lend you my Airbnb if you want to create music sometime. And we were in talks about Sage at at that time. And so I threw it out that like, hey, if you guys want to fly yourselves down to Southern California, I have this place for a week. And we thought about kind of forcing things and how we wanted to have an agenda. And like each person was going to give a master class on the thing that they care about each to day. The yeah. And like share a listening presentation and we we're going to arrange and we were going to circle sing. And, and it ended up being that we just listened to music and talked and cooked and drank and ate and swam and really laid the foundation for us to be able to go into our corners in the middle of the pandemic and still feel safe enough to create together. I think if we had focused on the kind of like technical side of things or just kind of like um, how to achieve, uh, you know, the skills that we set out to achieve that weekend, it would have just been like another Uh, scholastic experience but we really were we left that space feeling really tied together I think all of us coined this phrase that we don't use very often but sage rage do you guys remember Mm. that where we were like angry we were angry that we weren't in the same space anymore Mm. like we're grumpy at our partners and so but but the writing of desert song was was it not before COVID that was during that retreat yeah so that was in the desert it was in in in, uh, Palm Springs and there was just like this parallel between sort of like the perceived vapidness of these dry mountains, but realizing that anything that can survive there has to be really resilient. You didn't know what you were looking for necessarily until you heard yourself say it, but you said it to Amanda. So I guess we need to move over here now to <laughs> what you remember experiencing when Sarah said that. There, there's so much to unpack there for me personally, just because I had already been looking up to Sarah for so long never even pictured myself like making music in the same space as her even for one night only let alone an, a long-term collaboration 
Um, so it was a thrill. I mean, I was, I was knocked off my feet when, when the words came out of her mouth. Um, I had been not necessarily wanting to be a part of like a treble singing group, but I, I had been looking to start something, um, like educational or like a, like a younger group for trebles available, um, with Aaron. So that kind of made sense at the time because Aaron had just sung backgrounds on Sarah's record and so written arranged and so oh, yes. backgrounds yes excuse me <laughs> written arranged seeds, and the many seeds being planted so the idea of collaborating both with sarah and aaron was just a thrill and when we were kind of brainstorming did we want four people did we want five did we want to look for another person in came john a because of sarah's long-term connection with her and little did i know that i was about to meet one of my favorite people on the planet are you both in seattle now yes but hadn't encountered one another not really oh i mean i i had seen amanda on stage with groove for thought and actually you performed at gin right and you don't remember this but i came up to you after and was just like what are you (laughs) who and what (laughs) and where and why and how are you I almost remember that. Almost. I almost do. I, I like, do. you were walking off stage, and I was like, um, <laughs> ma'am. And I snatched you up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Yeah. But in a sense, maybe you weren't looking for a treble group because no. you work in a lot of already ensembles and arrangement jobs and educational things. So it's not, it wasn't a change for you. It wasn't yeah. something outside of your... Absolutely. And I had just come out of singing in a different vocal jazz ensemble for like nine years. And so I was honestly kind of feeling like I think I'm ready for a break from singing in a vocal group until Sarah came up and asked me. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm ready. Here we go. <laughs> and so, and it was your suggestion then to bring Aaron into the mix? I mean, we she just came up naturally as we were talking about it and excitedly brainstorming that evening. Aaron's name came up immediately. This is all on the same evening. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't think we'd considered a fourth until, I don't know, a few weeks oh, later or something. There were endless possibilities at that point. There yeah. was no like, it's going to be four women and yeah. who will it be? It was like, well, do you want to do that's something? A, that's a question. You know, like there does, and I want to get to this, but there does seem to be something specifically special about the group in part because it is four women. Was that a prerequisite or was there was it open-ended? It could be mixed, could be all kinds of things. Even that weekend when we were in Palm Springs, we threw out a couple names that I won't mention mm-hmm. because I don't want people to have FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We emailed some people. Uh-huh. Some per- Someone said no. Another person, we just didn't. It was like we had the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then when we left, we were like, "There's no, like it doesn't make, it would be too much to penetrate at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the sort of like team had been forged mm-hmm. and the relationships had been forged. And there was too much that had happened at that point that someone else would have to infiltrate and we knew that the energy would shift and you yeah. know it was like yes maybe the music would would shift because we would have a fifth voice and sometimes that can add a level a level of complexity or kind of a spread that we might benefit from but mm. it was like we didn't want to welcome that into the experience because the dynamic was so special at that point it really did feel in that weekend like a sisterhood yeah it was like day one we were like who could it be who could it be who maybe how about this person how about this person and then by the end of it it was like no ain't nobody else coming up in here it's a wrap well i think that's what's kind of so incredible when you read that this was put together 
I think most people experience this sort of silky blend that turned out to be really special. And you would think maybe it was something where it was like, I went around the world looking for the three people that would mix, you know, mix, and it wasn't that. It just sort of seems like it happened. Do you think it had to be the four of you for that to happen? Our sound is definitely because of the four of us, yes. It's like we, we had a conversation even that first week in Palm Springs about each of us carving out just a quarter of our voice to offer this mm. unison sound to then have the whole sound that is sage. But also it just as people, like I, I don't think we would have made it this far if any one of us wasn't a part of this. Mm-hmm. Like we all just bring something incredibly necessary, both like in terms of skill, but then also just in terms of like balancing energies or like mm-hmm. some people are really good at going hard in this way. And then this person is good at balancing that. And, you know, so it's like, yeah, I just can't fathom anybody else being a part of it and getting what we've got so far. My daughter's 12. When she was little, she had mm-hmm. this book about bonobos, mm-hmm. which are like a primate, primate, but a matriarchal or oh, yeah. the females are the dominant. And it was a story about the bonobo females who ultimately kicked all the males out of the jungle or whatever it was and how peaceful they lived and how constructive they were. And meanwhile, it would cut to the male bonobos who were like a mess, you know. And this is a record that you all kind of produced and each song is credited. Sometimes the arrangements are led by two of you or the lyrics are by... But in general, there's like a real strong message that penetrates you know throughout which is we did this Mm -hmm. this is all of us Mm -hmm. and even in just the way like you made a song submitted it was nominated for a grammy there's so many things about it that just feel like i wonder what would have happened if there were more men involved in this and if it would have gone as smoothly or if it would have if the energy would have been different just before i love god Last summer, we were invited to sing at an event put on by the Berkeley Jazz and Gender Justice mm-hmm. Institute. He said, I am as constant as a northern star. They were honoring Joni Mitchell with a doctorate. And I said, constantly in the darkness. And we got to sing an arrangement of A Case of You. Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? And Joni Mitchell spoke at some point. If you want me, I'll be in the bar. And she was saying that if women had been more involved with harmony from the beginning, or whatever the beginning is, but in jazz, kind of, there would be a lot more sus chords. <laughs> On the back of a cartoon coaster In a blue TV screen I, I drew a map of Canada In a sus chord, you can live in both the happy and the sad. There's space for everything. With your face sketched on it twice. We just about died because I think we avoid like fully voiced dominant chords, like our life depends on it. Oh, you're in my blood, like so 
we're constantly like moving out of the way of these kind of like sometimes ironic feeling mm. voicings and finding other ways to like like not I wouldn't even say like soften but just like open them up. And like we get questions all the time like what's your favorite voicing? What's the, what's the stage voicing? And we and we share what it is ad for whatever you want to mm -hmm. call it um but she like nailed it and she was kind of the one that was like if women had 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 more seats at the table from the beginning of this music we would have had these other sounds sooner but we all arrived there also and just in our time together as four women creating Do you think that that's an emotional commentary or is it a range commentary or both? I mean, it's easier to live maybe a little bit higher in the range with those mm. pinches. It's They're a little rubbier, mm -hmm. lower. I mean, I think it was emotional yeah. because range wise, like, yeah. you know, if you have a six part group yeah. where, you know, four treble voices and two uh, like lower voices, you can still get that rub. You just yeah. have the lower voices holding down like the you know, the root third seven, yeah. and then you have the rubs up top. Right. So it's really, you don't need necessary. And like also a lot of male voices can sing super high. Sure. They can get that if they want. I think it's really the emotional thing of not needing to like punch it in the face. Yes. Not to say that all men want to do that. This, there's certainly plenty that are very gentle and, you know, can be open in that way. But I, I really think it's like the emotional space that a more feminine energy allows. It's just obvious to us. I would also add that I, I feel like all of the members of this group have really tried to ascend beyond training and into artistry. Mm. And that I think is something that that is really thrilling to hear in chamber music mm. and not often something that's incorporated. That like a lot of times it, people can be bogged down sort of by the theory and the math of it and the complexity of the composition and the arrangement and have that be sort of the be all end all that it's like hip and crazy and weird and... I think that I haven't often felt that in this group that I don't hear the theory or the meter or the harmony that I just feel the expression. And it's not that it isn't there. It's some of the most complex, like most challenging music I've ever sung. And I've sung, we've all sung some really, really challenging music before, but I think it's the sort of combination of this intense level of technical and theoretical and musical and compositional and, and orchestral training but the willingness to get out of the way and allow something else to step forward in service of like humanity and art yes and that's something that I'm really grateful to be witness of and to be able to participate in to me it doesn't feel like feminine or masculine it just feels like a choice that some artists don't feel compelled to make and and I think it's it's less common in chamber music I really felt that as well I felt like in listening to you, it's possible to be hip, as hip as you want, and also accessible and emotional. And if you want to go down the road and find out what is the sage voicing, it's there for you. Mm -hmm. But it, there's a lot of emotion in it also. Mm -hmm. Each of you came into the group with your own career already in motion. And each of those careers looked a little different. So what was it like for you individually to make the shift into Becoming Sage. Jeanne. I came up in the vocal jazz world. So um, my introduction to singing was honestly singing in my 
high school vocal jazz ensemble. And mm. then I went to college for jazz studies. And so I started at the Chicago College of Performing Arts and was in ensembles there. And I remember hearing this 16 piece, which ridiculous, why? Like 16 piece vocal jazz <laughs> ensemble from Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. And I was so blown away that I left the college that I was at to go study at Western Michigan University. When I say that I was in a vocal jazz ensemble, I mean, we were singing the most ridiculous, like six, seven, eight part, what? And it's all like Hmm. crunchy and we were doing choreography. I remember being at the show going, what is happening right now? But they sounded so good. And I was like, I want to figure out what this is. So I was up there kickball changing with the rest of them. (laughs) And I studied under Steve Zagree, who was a really wonderful vocal jazz ensemble director. And that was my training. I mean, I was taking private voice instruction and learning about um, developing my sound, but also like when instrumentalists go to institutions and they have to play in the big band, you had to sing in the vocal jazz ensemble. Mm -hmm. And so that was what I was doing for several years. And when Sarah asked Amanda and Aaron Mm -hmm. about, hey, what about this? I think somewhere in my mind I was like, I really miss, Mm -hmm. I really miss that. Like I love my solo stuff and I love the groups that I've been working with. Hide your heart from sight Lock your dreams at night It could happen to you Don't count stars or you might stumble Someone drops a sigh and down you tumble But I don't know, there's just something about the community and there's just something about it that I was really longing for because it is such a special and unique experience that you you can talk about it, but unless you've experienced it, it's just kind of like, oh, okay. But once you're like in there, it's something that your heart can long for, even as you're having a very successful career as a solo artist and just loving what you're doing. It's possible to be like, oh, I miss harmonizing with other voices. Like that felt really good. Cause that's one of the first things you learn as a kid, you know, is like, how do you sing along with your sibling? And how do you like tune this up? And I mean, I guess maybe if you live in music nerd types of houses, like I, we created, but yeah, it was something that I, like I came up doing and definitely was called back to. So it was sure. a return. Oh, it was totally. A return to something. What about you, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of young people these days come to this genre through a pre-collegiate music education. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to go to a high school in the Pacific Northwest that had the same director for their nationally acclaimed uh, jazz orchestra that also led the vocal jazz ensemble, which at the time I didn't know was kind of an anomaly to have like an actual jazz instrumentalist leading this jazz choir. Mm -hmm. You know, he would transcribe these like really challenging big band arrangements and then write really corny lyrics to them. And then we would, you know, write lyrics to Miles Davis solos. And, and there was no conversation about unified endings, no conversation about unison uh, blend and like vowel shapes that he, he wasn't a choral instructor. He was a jazz musician. And so it was thrilling and exciting. And I had the opportunity to go around the U S and like meet Ray Brown and Diana Grawl. And like, you know, we went to all these jazz festivals. We were interfacing with jazz musicians and that was why and when I fell in love with this genre 
and realized I wanted to dedicate my life to it. Never, never will I marry. Never, never will I wait. Born to wander solitary. Wide my world, narrow my bed. Never, never, never will I When I went to USC, the choir director was a choral instructor, and that was a really big uh, disconnect for me, you know, that, that there was no conversation about context or the music or the why. It was just sort of the blend of sound, and that was the point when I was, I kind of fell out of love with that part of it because I thought that there wasn't a way to unify the two and that there wasn't really a value beyond just kind of technical skill in kind of like trying to find a way to express what you're doing through multiphonic singing together, right? Yeah, and then I was put in a position where I had to teach a jazz choir, and then I learned how much I didn't know Mm -hmm. and was able to understand the context and the why and the what and the importance of all of those things and the the kind of figure out how to transcend what is on the page into something else. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a really important lesson, and I think that was pretty important for me. I think if I had come to my interaction with Amanda without that foundation, I would have been really blown away by what she did, but I wouldn't have understood it and responded to it in the same way. Mm -hmm. If I hadn't had the ability to kind of find my own voice as a soloist and then learn how really beautiful and complex and complicated and expressive this art form can be when you have someone who's imaginative and creative behind the pen. Mm But yeah, it wasn't, I had never done it in a, in a, a professional setting and it's still, sometimes I'm like, am I doing this in a professional setting? <laughs> am I? I know y'all are, but I'm just trying. What about you, Erin? I've heard some of your other solo projects, the record that you made with Amber Navrin from Moonchild, for example. And, um, I would say that they lean very contemporary, kind of lo-fi, hip hop adjacent, more modern production and sound. <laughs> And I discovered that uh, you also have been uh, singing with Pomplamoose because Jack Conti, I didn't, another thing I completely slept on, has been freaking out about you for years now. So how was this group experience different? I come from Vermont. I grew up in a public school that didn't really have a jazz program. I don't think we had a jazz program at all. Um, I had a really good choir director and I did a lot of festivals, like auditioned for festivals and that was incredibly inspiring to me I also grew up dancing ballet quite seriously and Mm -hmm. I was dancing to a lot of like Tchaikovsky and Chopin and a lot of romantic super expressive harmonically expressive music and then like simultaneously when I was in high school that choir director tapped me and a friend of mine to start uh all treble acapella group so we just started like transcribing like I would literally listen to like guitar and piano parts and just like figure out what the three notes were that they were playing Mm -hmm. in those triads and tell like the soprano two, alto one, alto two to sing them and then teach those parts. So that's kind of like where I started. It wasn't, but I was listening to jazz as well. I was also the listening to like Regina Spector, Alicia Keys, Nora Jones, Elvis Gerald, like some like 
a mix and my sound it wasn't just like I wasn't just getting like jazz I was getting a lot of raw stuff as well um and anytime that somebody somebody would try to make my sound do the right thing I felt really resistant to it and wanted to quit like I took a couple voice lessons in high school wanted to quit because I just didn't like sounding like not myself and so then I like I got a degree in arranging from from Berkeley and that was really that was really cool. And then I also was being paid on the side to do like arranging for groups, but I wasn't in those groups. So I was like being myself, kind of being like a jazz slash jazz, jazz adjacent singer over here, but knowing that I don't sound like what people are expecting if they want to hear like an Ella Fitzgerald mm-hmm. tribute, whatever. And then over here I was writing. So Sage was all of a sudden this opportunity to like kind of write in a way that like I could use how I really sound and feel, but then also dig into like... Like there's so much that you can't express as a solo singer mm-hmm. in the moment. You cannot, you cannot possibly show the audience how it's not just like this one thing that you're feeling. It's also everything underneath mm-hmm. and how it moves like ahead and pulls behind. Like there's so much that you can show people if you're not just in charge of like the main thing, but also everything around it. Um, and so Sage was like this opportunity to be like, we're all here to be raw. We're all here to actually like, like tear our heart out and put it on the table. Hmm and like let it say something. And so I think as much as I had whatever chops I had before Sage, I think it was like in Sage that I really started to feel like as an arranger, I felt powerful. Like Mm -hmm. I think emotionally powerful as an arranger because I had never had the opportunity to be so unaffected by what I thought I was supposed to be doing as a singer or an arranger. We do a lot of things, we always sound like ourselves, but it's so special that we really want it to be real. We We don't need it to be I don't know. We don't need anything to be to be prescribed. Mm. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's I love that answer. I don't know what me. the question was. I love the answer though. Yeah. Um, how, what is the process of arranging and learning the arrangements? When the arrangements are made, are you assigning the voicings to individual singers? Are you thinking about the individual singers when you're voicing the chords? I love that question. I think if for, at first it was like the answer was no because it was like we kind of know we know our voice parts pretty much. It's like usually Amanda on the top and then Aaron, Jana, Sarah, mm. though that can, that can change. Depends on who's writing. Depends on who's writing. Yeah. But the, as time goes on, we know more and more and more like what is really successful. And also like, like there's a moment where I'm just like, I know I want Sarah to just like belt the hell out of this. Right. So Sarah's going to get this, even though it's like the top or the second from the top. Jolene, 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 Jolene. You know, or like I really want to hear Jeanne's like angular approach. Like she has like really like clean but soulful approach to like complex melodies. So like I'm, I like, need that there. Amanda to like carry this in like a way that like I wish I could but I could never so I think we're getting we're getting there and it's like now becoming much more vital but at first it was a lot of like let's try this yeah and like secretly suffering sometimes a little bit and then finally after a year being like Hey Amanda, (laughs) like I know you wrote this for me, but do you want to switch parts? (laughs) And we still do that. Yeah, yeah. And you've been thinking, feeling the same way. Yes, finally. I will say that 
it's in the last couple of arrangements that have been sent out that it's really thrilling to sing something and realize that like that one bar was written for my voice because mm. you can feel it like yeah. you know like oh this person yeah they heard mm. me I'm gonna okay I'll let it rip now your question was also about like how the arrangements sure. come to be and how we learn them yes. and so what's interesting the back end of that is like listening to a demo that was created in the beginning of Sage versus listening to a demo that is created now. Like now I hear Amanda singing Jeanet singing this part hmm. versus Amanda singing this part in the demo. Hmm. So the way that the parts come together, I think it'd be better for y'all to like discuss how the arrangements come together, but the demo is where all of the magic lies. Every tune is a little bit different, but I think lately we've been really good about kind of setting an arrangement intention together um, before any one of us kind of splits off and takes responsibility for um, fully realizing the arrangement. Um, so we'll kind of create a texture map of sorts or just brainstorm ideas together, put it all in a doc to reference um, as we go through the arrangement process. And then one or two of us will typically take on the actual charting of the arrangement, the actual the actual demo part, and we will send out practice tracks um, for everybody to learn their parts. But I think as the actual arranging is happening, I feel like we kind of go through phases, but but lately it's it's been really just kind of recording based. Like mm -hmm. we'll set up a template for an arrangement and then get in there and track a couple different ideas for a background part for a section or go through and just improvise a melody for the backgrounds and then orchestrate from there. Maybe it's a harmonized moment. Maybe it's like I really hear John A's voice poking through and I want to feature that or I want to have a cascading waterfall moment where everybody has a moment to shine and just kind of trying to be mindful of what the music needs and also what we need to be able to feel like we're able to be authentic to our own voices and also contribute to the larger Sage sound. I understand that there's not like a very hard division of labor but would you say amanda and aaron are more involved in the arrangements yeah i think our background yeah. our backgrounds lend us to be the ones who are like doing the nitty-gritty yeah like orchestration finale of it. Yeah. demo yeah, yeah. and yeah. usually what will happen is they'll like fully flesh out this four-part thing and then upload individual stems mm -hmm. and then we will download the kind of like stack of those into our own daw systems and then learn our own part and then the submission of like whether or not we've learned them varies from song to song but typically because we don't live in the same city what we'll do is like learn them on our own there's a deadline for understanding who, like when mm -hmm. you're supposed to have the arrangement learn and then sometimes we'll go through the process of like we'll record ourselves singing that stem and send it for feedback or line everything up and see where sort of those discrepancies lie yeah this speaks to another question that i had because when i heard recordings the blend is so incredible that my assumption was these records had to be made with four people standing in a row or in a circle mm -hmm. singing at the same time and it is so not that way i mean I, there's all this performance of you that proves and shows that it it can sound like that and it mm -hmm. does sound like that but I was even surprised to see that when it came time to make the record that you went back to the desert, you rented another Airbnb, I don't know if it was the same place or where you went, but you hung the blankets on the walls <laughs> and you double-tracked everything individually, which was surprising to me because it doesn't read that way on the record. I guess that's a, a sign that it worked. Mm -hmm. I understand for record-making purposes why you do that, but I mean, it is an interesting thing for a vocal group to have spent so much time overdubbing one at a time. I don't think we'd do it again that way. 
I think we're reconsidering <laughs> this project. Yeah. yeah, we have a different idea for how we'd go about it. It just took so long. Yeah. I mean, I think what ended up, the reason why it went faster than you might imagine is yeah. that everything was kind of in place before we did that. So there was the demo that was recorded in someone's personal office with like a kind of MIDI draft of what they wanted the instrumentals to do. And then they took our re-record of the demo, removed the like fake band in a box sound, the rhythm section recorded to that. Yep. And then we re-recorded those vocals. So it wasn't like we were starting from scratch. Right. Most of the songs we'd performed live, we were able to rehearse a lot of the stuff together, but I think trying to do 15 songs all at once was where the mental health crisis mm. of the hive mind really came into play. <laughs> But I think that also the reason partially why that happened and felt like it needed to happen was because of the writing process. Like like the, the recording of the demo is like such a huge part of our writing process. Like, I don't know how y'all feel, but I like I used to just like arrange in finale. Like I'd be like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I know what this is going to sound like, like brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
On the Sage album, you recorded a medley mashup arrangement of Michael Kiwanuka's Solid Ground and the Beatles' Blackbird. Would you help me? I don't understand. Is it over? Am I losing solid ground? Oh, I want solid ground. Sarah, I know that on one of your earlier solo records, you played with combining Blackbird and the standard Bye Bye Blackbird. Into the light of a dark black night Packing up my care and woe, here I go singing low So this is another example of a musical idea that came into the group from your solo career. And to a larger extent, it's an example of how the general creative process is being shared publicly, that you kind of leave little crumbs behind you in the path of your own discovery, and we can pick them up. Well, I do think that's the permission that I guess society has for artists these days because there is such a window into the human behind the art, mm. especially in the, in the jazz community, right? Like, I, I think years ago there was this sort of like gatekeeper aspect with record labels where there, there were these sort of anointed ones that, you know, uh, everyone was so curious about what their, the inside of their life was. But now it's like, you know, Beyonce making a pie in her living room, you know, and, and I think that the, the permission to be a human is new. And I think that it would have been really challenging I mean, it wouldn't have been possible without the advent of social media and sort of the way that the culture has moved like 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to say like, here's a demo that we all tracked that actually sounds like pretty good because people didn't have the skills and they also didn't have the tools. But Mm -hmm. now that people do, there is sort of like this willingness to accept imperfect Mm -hmm. content in a way that I think is like more indicative of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, it's a bit of a gift of, of sort of like the social media era that we live in yeah. to be able to have permission to step into like, we don't know who we are. We are discovering who this, what this group is while understanding that like, if it really is art, it's going to continue to change anyway. So yeah. why not step into not knowing? And do it in public. Yeah, exactly. So I want to speak also because over and over you've kind of talked about the emotional uh, nuance of the way these arrangements work, the living in the in-between space of having complex emotional feelings when you hear the music. But there's another aspect of it, which is that you had to write lyrics. And I mean, anybody who's ever written a song knows how private and intimate that is to do. And then to meet new people and to not really know each other and then have to s- decide what we have to say and share yourself, your inner truth with these people. What has that process of the composition been like? I think it depends on the song, but I will say that like the way that the strengths distribute, maybe I shouldn't say strengths, but because I think everyone likes to write lyrics, but I think Sarah has a real knack and John A actually, because you tend to, I would say that, I don't know, actually, (laughs) I don't know. Everyone's brought lyrics lyrics in. Everyone, everyone has brought lyrics in for sure. But I think 
when in doubt, I think Sarah's really good at being like, I will take this and mm-hmm. I will develop this. And usually it'll be like a conversation around what is this song about? Mm-hmm. Even if there aren't words yet, it'll be like, what does it feel like? Maybe there's like a one line that we all agree belongs in the song, but like, what's the context? What are the nuances behind that line? Mm-hmm. And then someone will kind of take it and develop it out into a big old, you know, masterpiece of, of sorts. I mean, in the beginning, like when, we, when I look back at the songs on this record, I think the we totally wrote Desert Song together. It was 100% melody, lyrics, chords together in the same room. Same pool. Same, same pool. pool, exactly. Thank you. Same margarita pitcher. And then there was another song that we kind of co-wrote. Amanda had written like two-thirds of a song, and then and then the rest of us wrote a bridge. And then there was another song, our, our first attempt at like Zoom Mm. writing which was just brutal but we it was the song that michael mayo was featured on mm. called you're the oracle and that was sort of a response to all of us just being really lost in the pandemic and not knowing like w- where to turn for answers and stability and that one you know it was like we, we were still in sort of our like let's all write together and john a and i volunteered to kind of write these lyrics together and i was like, great, we'll talk on Zoom in, in three days. And then I was like, I'm so sorry, I wrote them mm. <laughs> in advance. And Jenny was like, oh, <laughs> all right, okay. It was indicative of the beginning, the seeds of feeling comfortable just like letting something come. Mm. I didn't intend to like Bogart the lyric writing experience. I sat down and like 40 minutes later had finished the song and it just like poured out of me. And I felt entirely attached to letting them all go and said that to John A. But John A. was like, well, you had something to say, so let's just let it go. Careful the winding road you're taking Or the more you go So far from home Longing to soothe the ground But there was a period where, you know, I would write something and anticipate that there would be like a revolt against what I had come up with or like, you know, a strong, like a long, a long list of notes of like things that people wanted to change. Like I remember when I wrote the lyrics to Britches. I can't remember what happened, but I just like really, I felt really nervous that there was going to be like a very big change. Or like, or like, because it's just like, it was just like out of the blue, you know, like we hadn't talked about much other than sort of the perspective. Yeah. And I finished them and was like, oh, here we go. I don't know. And everybody's like, great. there been lyrical or harmonic or arrangement disagreements have oh. there been musical disagreements not really well i wouldn't call them disagreements i would call it like 
There have been more interpretive, opposing, interpretive opposing interpre- interpretations. Like once the arrangement is done, for sure, there's like, I think we should or shouldn't do mm-hmm. this dynamic or vibrato here or like, I'm not flat, you're flat, you know, whatever. But <laughs> but there have also moments where it's like, there's like an arrangement. Like I remember there was this I am late. Yeah. So there's a but song called like I am late. thing, right? It was like, how are we going to, what words Maybe. are we going to linger on or like, where's the but, space or whatever? But But it doesn't sound like it's, aesthetic on a global level a disagreement about what our sound not is. at all no. and it's not it's not detached. like a i don't trust your vision thing it's yeah. like a, whose vision is stronger right and it's not even whose vision is better it's whose vision is stronger yeah because there's no wrong or right in this group and i think that's the thing that we've all learned is that like both are going to be really valid and both are going to feel really good right. but i think at this point most of us feel like if someone has a strong vision for something or a strong desire for something that we all know that we want what's best and we understand what's best for the group and that we just want to see it through. So like when we were writing our most recent songwriting session, I was like, here's my idea. And everybody mm-hmm. spent like five hours fleshing out this idea. And it finally, wasn't just your idea, to be fair. Well, it kind of started that way. And then we tried to justify we it. We really but tried. We tried. Collectively. And then finally I was like, well, it's been five hours and it still feels bad. So who wants to move on? <laughs> no, I think I was like, guys, is this a bad song? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I and that wasn't your fault. Bad. I feel like if I was saying like what I have contributed is bad. I don't know what yeah. to do. Yeah. I'm bad. But I think there's like a willingness to surrender. Yeah, exactly. you know, there's not like a, an agenda yeah. necessarily. But yeah, I think that there's. I'm sorry. Are you cold? It's, it's cold it's in here. Yeah, yeah, there's no. Yeah. You see all the layers that we have on. For those that don't have a vision for where we are, we're in a giant loft in Brooklyn and it's there's no heat. We can't the heat is ragingly loud. It's so loud. So it's been off for an hour. This is where, by the way, I came monochrome for you. <gasps> oh my God. Neutral too, so that you would fit right in. I was, I was thinking if we're orange and, and green and red, then gray yes. will fit with everything. And so I was ready. We should have gone branded. We didn't go branded. Because we were meeting in a photography studio. I was yeah. ready to f- drop in. Yeah. We should take a picture of you on the lips couch with Sage oh, before totally. we say goodbye yeah. for the press purposes. Yeah, yeah. We need it. This was born out of a whim, basically, but it is working. And at a certain point, you start to set goals or have plans or hopes or ambitions. Where are you in that process right now? I mean, what do you hope for now? Maybe if you hoped that it would just be nice or be a fun experience or something originally you've outgrown that so what are the hopes now Why are you pointing <laughs> sarah's forcing the microphone into johnny's hand our hopes okay well i'm gonna be honest i'm just hoping for balance mm-hmm. honestly i think we love this so much and it's a lot it's a lot of work and when we came out the gate it was just like we were building the plane while we were trying to fly it and put a lot of energy and blood and sweat and tears into it. And, you know, I remember when I was in grad school, some um, like we had some business classes and one of my professors said the management, like the team comes when you don't need the team anymore. Yeah. Oh yes. You know? And I just remember thinking that is crazy. And so I think we spent our early stages really just trying to figure out not only like what we sounded like, but how we functioned and what our roles were and how to, you know, 
how to exist as a group in two different places and how to continue to develop material and grow and create and, you know, continue to develop our love, our relationship with one another. And so now it's like, okay, we're trying to release some of that like heavy lifting that we've been doing, which is a another struggle. It's like, okay, so these are the spreadsheet people in Sage right now. Who are the new spreadsheet people going to be? Are they going to make the spreadsheets the way we want them to make the spreadsheets? Are they going to reply to the emails the way that we want them? And it's like, you know, handing over the reins so that we can focus on the art even more and also like our stuff. You know, it would be really great if we were all independently wealthy or living off of residuals and could just like hang and make music. I mean, that's what I'm manifesting right now. Come on, Powerball. Um, I love that you're not even saying come on music business. You know, it's not music business. It's Powerball. That's the only way. No, I'm going to help my friends make so many records. Like I'm going to just like make it rain. I'm buying everybody houses and like we just aren't gonna have to worry about things and we'll just be able to create art. And so it's like, it would just be really great. Like we have our, we have jobs. I'm a, we're professors. Like we're teaching little booze how to play piano. Like we have jobs and we also want to write and arrange things for our private projects. And then we want to do the sage thing. And then we want to work with other folks. And it's like, all I want for Christmas is balance. You, it takes time to like explore and identify what that really looks like for four very different people with four very different lives. Is it stressful? I mean, I have often asked people how they recover from or deal with success because, you know, all of your lives were sort of set up for however they were set up before this happened. This is an interruption in a funny way that you have to accommodate. The fact that it's working, the fact that you're out on the road right now, the fact that you're having to slot four different individual careers into this project is challenging and stressful as much as it is a best case scenario for what might have happened is it stressful I mean I'll say I'm stressed as hell because (laughs) I have eight-year-old twins that are like just like hey we're gonna go on tour okay two weeks of child care like drop off and pick up like my husband works for the federal government Mm -hmm. he has a job that (laughs) yeah (laughs) like he has to do and just like the idea of like or like even we got to get a dog sitter. Mm-hmm. Like who's going to walk the dog when I'm out of town? Like right. there are these, these kinds of things. It's yeah. like, you think, Oh my gosh, we're going to be on the road and it's going to be so great. Yeah. And it's going to be so fun. But it's like logistics are real. Yes. And I mean, I'm not stressed now, but like when I was like, when you're in the process of trying to figure out how you're going to make it all work, that's when it's just like, I love this so much. I love this so much. I love this so much. Who is going to take my children to school on Tuesday, November 15th? You know what I mean? And so, yeah, that is stressful. But as you're figuring out all of the stuff, like, I just keep thinking, little infants in a big backyard. The music and the love. Hold it up against the wind. Like being in the same space. Painted white to cover up its flaws. With these, you know, beautiful humans. Keeps the sun from it's like, okay, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. I mean, I think one thing that's easy to forget too something that I've been thinking about in the past couple of months and also especially as we're talking right now with this question is like, you know, we came together at this point almost five years ago. 2019 is five years ago in 
2024. And it, it was 2018 that we really started talking. So mm. we've grown a lot. Like I've grown so much as an adult person in the last five years. And so I think it's really easy to assume that when a group comes together that it's like who they were at the beginning was exactly who they were going to be and that and who that what they wanted at the beginning was exactly what they were going to want for the like entirety of that group. And so I think it's been really important for each of us as we shift and as Sage grows, like I didn't dare, I didn't dare dream about a Grammy nomination. I'm from Vermont. Like I didn't dare. So it's like things have been exploded in a way that I didn't anticipate. Vermont just feels so small. I know it sounds ridiculous to say. Wait, isn't it? Anais like, Mitchell's from Vermont. Anais Mitchell is yeah. from Vermont. She's yeah. like my shining, you know, yeah. she's Ben and Ben and Jerry, you know, but like all that to say, like, like yeah. there were so many things that I wasn't even like hoping for myself because I wasn't secure enough yeah. to, to hope for that. And now it's changed. Um, and so I think in the past year, especially like so many, I mean, things just keep happening in our lives. And so I think we are all having to constantly be like, hey, can we schedule some time to just talk as humans with like hearts that have feelings and just try to get to the bottom of what everybody wants starting now. And then like six months later, starting now, because mm. it is like you just have to at a certain point in life when you have so much happening that you love, you have to choose what do you love the most. And it's really painful. Right. And so like you, you're about to go out with Jacob Collier mm -hmm. and that's going to be in a pretty ex extensive tour. I mm -hmm. assume. Yeah. So that's your eight-year-old twins. Yeah. Well, I also have a dog who's basically, you know. No, but yeah. No, yeah. Like, like I think at a certain, I think I, w I wouldn't have done that maybe two years ago. Oh, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I would have. I, I probably wouldn't have dared hope for it, you know. Yeah. But I think we've had to kind of come to terms in, in the last year that, like, we still all have a craving to be individuals. Mm -hmm. So how can we serve ourselves as individuals and also show up for the group as we've said that we were going to. And if it doesn't happen, how can we adjust? And how can we hold space for each other to mm -hmm. be human, but also like hold each other to what we need from each other? And, you know, now we're getting into therapy, you know, group therapy. No, but I do think vibes. that that must be a huge part of it. You it's know? huge, yeah. And again, this isn't, you, you're not all at the same stage in your life. And you also right. didn't develop this thing as, you know, students or whatever. And right. then your life sort of took off and you, you know, you're having to figure out how you do this as it becomes successful. It's really interesting. Yeah. But I will say that there is something that, that happens when you make art in a void for four years with like a vision for what you think it's going to be and like uh, awareness of and a development of like true supreme intimacy in the way that Sage has carved space. Mm -hmm. Like all of us have admitted that there's not another relationship like this in our lives other than our bewedded partner, mm -hmm. right? Like it's like the things that we talk about and the openness that we share. Um, but there's like this fifth member now that is like our album out in the world. You know, there's like this being that has now been shared that like we're not in control of. We don't know where Sage is headed because it's at this point, like the statement that we've made is now not in our hands anymore. Yeah. If this art is now being consumed and being dictated by people that like we don't know mm -hmm. and that aren't necessarily <laughs> a member of this intimate foursome, but are, are intimately in interacting with this art, you know? And yeah. so to say like, what is next for Sage? Like, I think we have this kind of like dictated vision for like what we think is going to happen based on the, the path that we've been on and our own individual thoughts and what we need and the balance that we're looking for. And we can't shy away from this fifth member that is now also a part of, yeah. like the intimate connection that we have, you know, like it, it, I think that it's like, 
I don't know, my brain isn't isn't making words in the way that I wanted to. But like, ultimately, I just feel like art isn't yours once you let it out into the world. And that becomes part of the conversation of where things are headed. Once you sort of give this offering and people are are taking it into their hearts. Right. And it's going to lead you to other things that you can't predict. I mean, I think that's part of it. Yeah. Things will shift in a way that like, I think we won't be able to anticipate. But I think that that's kind of what I was referring to at the beginning of the conversation when I said things come to you in their time. Right. Because all of what's come to you has not been the result of some intentional thing. I mean, you made the work, but you didn't have any intention of it being received the way it was received, which is true for all of us. But I mean, I think it's especially true in this project for some reason. Jeanette, you know, you talk about who's going to do the spreadsheet and, you know, are they going to do it the way we want to? And when you say it's been five years, I mean, five years is a long time for a project. So you deserve to have spreadsheet people and team people or whatever. But it does seem fast. I'm sure you all know plenty of people that have been out here for much longer or have been those people for much longer out here who never had the team and never had people that were doing that. That's what most independent artists wait for and crave. I wish I had my team. I wish I had my spreadsheet person so I didn't have to do it. I think it's, yeah, that's an important thing to acknowledge that like it is easy to not see the forest through the trees when you are in your own experience. But like Sage has been on this really beautiful trajectory that has opened up some incredible doors with like a certain sense of momentum that like is not, it's not easy to create. You know, what we've been able to achieve is like, it's, it's important to take a moment and like inhale a bit. Yes. At the same time, I mean, I remember now reading the liner notes on the record, the press release or whatever, where there, there is a press release that says that your record is coming out in 2021. Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 ha. That's right. It just as a reminder, even to me, that like it seems very fast yeah. because it's out and it's nominated and it's this and it's that. But yeah. I mean, there, you know, it's two years of you thinking this record is going to come out. Yeah. And well, note to, to self, out. a solo record can be released in six months, but an album with four doubled tracks panned right left <laughs> plus special guests guests at the wazoo guests yeah. at the wazoo 50 yeah. rearrangements editing the stems and then balancing the stems and then mixing the stems with four people in the room with four different opinions who live in different states with different things happening in their lives it was a, definitely a, a lot of heart and time we learned yeah. well sarah amanda Janae, aaron nice order sage Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me and for making this beautiful music. Thank you. I'm such a fan. Thank you. Thank you. There they were, my friends. Sage. I love those ladies. I'll be back in your headspace again before you know it with another deep dive. Looking in my mirror. Until then, I'll talk to you soon. Took me by surprise. I can't help but see you. Running off and through my mind. This has been a WBGO Studios production. To learn more about WBGO Studios' award-winning podcasts, special concerts, live streams, and more, visit wbgo.org studios.